Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. The lives of 17th and 18th century pirates have been glamorized by modern media. The hard-drinking, fun-loving ne'er-do-wells who charm the ladies and challenged authority have graced pages and screens for generations. Well, reality says you shouldn't believe everything you read. Pirates never made anyone walk the plank, and they were often ruthless killers who didn't follow a code of honor. Pirates harmed anyone and everyone who got in their way, especially in pursuit of gold or jewels. They weren't endearing swashbucklers wearing too much eyeshadow. However, one thing Hollywood and publishing got right was the pirates' need for freedom. They rebelled because they felt they were being controlled by governments that weren't working for them. High taxes and high poverty left many people in dire straits, and piracy was their only way out of squalor. These men and women set out on the high seas to take control of their destinies and forge their own paths, much like one pirate captain, James Misson. In the late 1600s, Misson had an idea for a land where pirates could truly be free free from the tyranny of oppressive regimes and military interference. An oasis meant, as he described it, for vigilante guardians of the people's rights and liberties. Captain Misson had come from Provence, France, serving aboard the warship Victoire. His father had been a wealthy man, but Misson himself had little, as he had numerous siblings to contend with. While on leave in Rome, he met a priest named Caracchioli, who accompanied him aboard the ship. Misson had lost faith in his religion as well as the papacy, and it seemed his new friend had too. The priest was a deist. He despised organized religion, believing it was being used as a tool to keep the classes in line. He often talked to Misson and the crew about how man was born to be free and should always remain free. Misson agreed wholeheartedly, and eventually, the crew did too. After the Victoire's captain was killed in action, the men of the ship declared Misson their new captain. His first order of business? To abandon the military and begin a new chapter in their lives. They became pirates, calling no country home, fighting for themselves and the family they'd created. They sailed to South Africa where they freed slaves and invited them to join the crew as equals. The men also gained a reputation for how well they treated the captains of the ships they pirated. Unlike their more vicious counterparts, Misson and his men almost never killed anyone unless absolutely necessary. It would have been uncivilized. After a brief stay on an island off the East African coast, captain and crew headed for Madagascar. It was there where Misson found his calling. He decided to establish a new colony, one where each man would have a little slice for himself and their joint efforts would go toward the betterment of the community. They called it Libertalia, sometimes known as Libertatia. They disowned their countries of birth, choosing to call themselves Liberi instead. A new language was born as well, pieced together from the various languages and dialects of the incoming settlers. And it didn't take long for the town to grow. There was livestock, farmland, docks were built to conduct shipping business with other lands, and some pirates continued to do what they did best, plunder the fortunes of other ships. Everyone contributed, and everyone enjoyed the fruits of their labor equally. Eventually, Misson and another leader, 
a privateer turned pirate named Thomas II, attempted to shift their socialist government to a more democratic method, one where a leader would be chosen by the men. Unsurprisingly, Misson was elected without question, but his victory was short-lived. Libertalia suffered an attack from the native people on the island, who killed a large portion of the settlers, including Caracchioli. Misson and 40 men fled with a fraction of their treasure. Two suggested that he go to America to try again, but Misson had had enough. He couldn't bear to go through the trouble of starting yet another colony. And he never got the chance, either. The captain and his remaining crew got caught in a bad storm after the attack. The ship was lost, and with it, one man's dream of a pirate utopia. There are some who say Libertalia was a fictional land, one concocted from the mind of a British writer too scared to voice his progressive views in public. Instead, it is said he wrote them in the form of a story about pirates and a fabled land where they lived as free men. Still, it hasn't stopped people from hunting for the proof. It's possible that somewhere out there is a remnant from James Misson's failed experiment, like a sign or a plaque, or the ruins of a Libertalian home. But even if there isn't, even if it was all just fiction, the dream of a place where people take care of one another lives on today. Inspiring? For sure. And also more than a little curious. All life eventually ends. We hope we live long enough to see our children grow up, start families of their own, before we pass away peacefully to a better place. As for our bodies, we have several choices. We can be buried in a cemetery, or cremated and have our ashes preserved for our loved ones to cherish. There are even services out there that let us turn our ashes into diamonds, so the ones we love can keep us close wherever they are. But what about those who don't have people to care for them? Where do they go when they die? It was a question posed by one particular group for many years, until someone came up with a solution in the 18th century, when one island became the final resting place for some of history's most colorful characters. The spot was located on Iel Santa Marie, a small island off the eastern coast of Madagascar in Africa. Iel Santa Marie had it all. Rich flora, interesting culture, and beautiful ocean views— it was the perfect place for pirates to kick back and relax as a kind of vacation spot. There were even a number of coves and bays where they could stash their ships out of view of merchant and military vessels going by. But El Santa Marie was also an unavoidable spot along the trade routes, so pirates had plenty of targets who were flush with valuable cargo to take advantage of as they passed by. The area was known as the Island of Pirates, and it was started by one man named Adam Baldridge in 1690. Baldridge had been charged with murder in Jamaica and escaped prosecution to El Santa Marie. He didn't just start a new chapter of his life there, though. He began writing a whole new book. Within a year, Baldridge had become the head of his own organization, controlling commerce to and from the island and mediating conflicts between the local tribes, all for a price. And because other pirates found the island to be quite welcoming to their kind, Baldridge often rented them out to merchants willing to pay their high fees for their services. He didn't stay too long on the island, though. After it was discovered that he'd been selling the indigenous people as slaves, he fled to the American colonies, leaving his paradise behind. But despite the loss of its founder, El Santa Marie flourished. Almost a thousand pirates descended upon its shores over the next hundred years, 
Of course, that's a long time, and most pirates don't live to a ripe age. Those who died had to be put somewhere, and that's when it was decided a cemetery had to be erected to handle the deceased. A graveyard was established on a hilltop set off from the wooden huts of the village. It overlooked the water, providing the dead with a final resting place near their one true home, the open ocean. Headstones were erected as well, many of which had been etched with a skull and crossbones, like the flags flown atop their ships when they were still alive. It's said that William Kidd, the Scottish pirate captain who buried treasure all over the world, made El Santa Marie his home for a time. And despite being executed in England in 1701, with his body put on display over the River Thames for three years, Captain Kidd eventually made it back to Pirate Island. He was laid to rest in the cemetery inside a giant black tomb, but he was not made comfortable. Kidd was oriented upright rather than lying down, as punishment for his actions while he was still alive. Between the late 1700s and the early 1800s, any remaining pirates were forcibly removed from El Santa Marie by the French, who reclaimed the island and turned it into a penal colony. Today, only about 30 headstones remain. However, despite its shrunken size, the graveyard at El Santa Marie represents the only pirate cemetery in the world, and a grim reminder of a time when pirates ruled the high seas. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.